Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. G'day race fans, welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host Will Dale and here's what's making headlines this week. Supercars hasn't had to look too far for a new head of motorsport in the wake of last week's news Adrian Burgess will depart the organisation. Soon to be former Tickford Racing Team Principal Tim Edwards will take over the renamed General Manager of Motorsport role upon ATB's departure with Supercars expected to announce that news tonight. Needless to say, we'll talk more about all that later in the show. Meantime, a pair of supercars have arrived in the United States ahead of the championship's wind tunnel testing program. A Dick Johnson Racing-built Ford Mustang and 888-built Chevrolet Camaro landed in Chicago late last weekend, and they're headed for the wind shear facility in North Carolina, where testing will begin next month. The championship has also confirmed that it will adopt the live pit lane format, where the garage order changes with the team's championship after every round for 2024. While the super license requirement has also disappeared, although we'll talk more in the show about what that actually means. The Battle of the Bates boys for the Australian Rally Championship title ended with Harry Bates getting the nod with co-driver Coral Taylor in a dramatic conclusion to the season-ending Subaru Canberra Rally of Canberra. They needed to win the rally overall and the E-Road Power Stage to pip teammates Lewis Bates and Anthony McLaughlin to the crown, and they did just that to nab the championship by just a single point, and it marks the fourth straight title for the Neil Bates run Toyota squad. There's been a change to the results of one of the Painter Dixon Carrera Cup Australia races on the Gold Coast. The results of race two have been reissued, with Pro-Am drivers Sam Shahin, Rodney Jane and Tim Miles all reclassified as non-finishers as they'd all been in the pits following a prior incident when the race was ultimately red flagged for a multi-car crash. Shahin also loses the 36 championship points he'd earned, changing his deficit to Pro-Am leader Adrian Flack from 15 points to 51 with just the Adelaide round to come. However, we understand that a protest has been lodged on that decision, so watch this space. And if you're looking for Todd Hazelwood this weekend, don't look for a blue Mustang. The Blanchard Racing Team Ford will be in the red colours of South Australian electronics company Red Arc Defence and Space for the Velo Adelaide 500. And we're pretty sure that that won't be the only change delivery on the supercars grid this weekend, with Tickford teasing pics of a Ken Block tribute on the Cam Waters car. In the co-driver's seat, as always, is Stefan Bartholomeus. Let's get straight into it with our Castrol high-spec stars of the week. Steph, who's yours going to? Hello, Will. My star of the week this week is actually the Las Vegas Sphere. 
Now, that might sound like a ridiculous sentence, but there was something about having an enormous emoji towering over the track via $3.5 billion worth of LED lights that just perfectly summed up the <laughs> madness and the magnificence of that Las Vegas Grand Prix. You're right. It really did show two sides of the coin. <laughs> um, so my star of the week goes to a person. Uh, it goes to Coral Taylor. She's now got five Australian Rally Championships to her name as a co-driver after clinching this year's title. She won a treble alongside Neil Bates in the 90s. Then they claimed a fourth one together back in 2008. And I guess this also brings the Taylor family's ARC title tally to six when you factor in daughter Molly's driver's title from 2017. So uh, not an emoji, a real person. That is a far more sensible and certainly a well-deserved star of the week choice. An incredible achievement, but also an amazing way that they wrapped it up there on the weekend. Absolutely. Well, we always get things underway with a bit of supercars chat, and there's plenty to talk about this week. I mean, it's time for our grand final, the Velo Adelaide 500, and the final act in what's been a tense championship battle throughout this inaugural season of Gen 3. We've got Brody Kostecki versus Shane Van Gisbergen, Erebus versus Triple Eight, Betty Clemenko versus Jamie Wincup. Steph, I don't know if you can tell, I'm excited. I cannot wait for this weekend to get underway. Oh, there's a lot of reasons to be excited about the Adelaide 500 this year. It's an awesome event and there's lots of great supercars storylines, which you've touched on a couple there and we'll get into more shortly, but also a really good support card as well. Lots of uh, great categories on the bill and the weather's been spectacular here in Adelaide the last couple of days, but uh, there is a little bit of rain on the forecast for the event. So that could be a wild card as well. Absolutely. Uh, let's briefly touch on what needs to happen for either driver to win the title. So Brody's going into the weekend with 131 points in hand over Shane Van Gisbergen. So he could mathematically wrap up the title on Saturday by gaining just 20 points. So if he wins the race and Shane is third, then it is all done. Uh, otherwise, a pair of eighth place finishes across both races would do it. And that's if Shane were to win both races. So in short, Van Gisbergen's best shot of winning the title is to just go out, try and win Saturday, then try and win Sunday, and hope that Brody has an absolute mare in at least one of those races. It is an interesting equation for both of them. Like, obviously, Brody does have a really healthy lead. It's it's there for him to win it, but it's not a foregone conclusion, and it's a new situation for him to be in. Like, it's easy to forget, considering the year he's had, that at the start of the season, he'd never even won a supercars race let alone contended for a championship before. And then on Shane's side, we've seen him go out and dominate Adelaide before. We, we know he can do that, but it is also his last weekend as a supercars driver for the time being at least. So there'll be a fair bit of attention on that. So it'll be interesting to see how he handles the weekend as well. We've seen a couple of different Shanes over the course of the 2023 season. And I really hope that this weekend we get the one that's, you know, 110%, absolutely niggling the cars in front, trying to win, just flat out racing the way that we know he can, because I feel like that would make for a very exciting finish to the season. Yeah, and, and win or lose, I would suggest there'll be a pretty big burnout at the end of it as well. <laughs> yes, very good point. Uh, traditionally, like you think back to the Gen 2 era, you might 
say, well, it's a street circuit, Triple Eight are absolute gurus on those and will be the team to beat, but that hasn't really been the case in the Gen 3 era since that season opening race at Newcastle. Uh, the Erebus cars were so strong in Townsville, and again, last time out on the Gold Coast, that really both teams ought to be at the pointy end for, for this finale. Well, Brody has been the one that has been consistently quick all year, especially in qualifying, like he's got the most poles and, and the best qualifying average by a long way. He's at 4.65 and Shane's is nearly double that. So if Brody can just do what he's been doing all year, then half of the job will be done in qualifying. But again, it comes back to how he handles the races and how he walks that fine line between limiting risk and actually being too conservative. Because you'd remember when, when Shane won his first title back in 2016, he came into the Saturday of Homebush with a huge lead and he changed his his style. He was super conservative on the opening lap of that race and lost a couple of spots and then made a really cautious, uncharacteristic sort of overtaking attempt trying to get back through and made some contact and was penalised. So he obviously recovered from that and it all worked out. He won the championship. But that's sort of the equation that, that Brody faces this weekend. It's funny, that contact actually kind of... It kind of reset him. Like it kind of, it kind of made him realize. Oh wait, no, 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 this this isn't working. And having to charge back through the field, and I think he got onto the podium that day or got very close. Um, that sort of was the kind of drive you would have expected, and the kind of drive that he needed to turn in. Yeah, it freed him up, and and I think we we should say that. Um, Brody has handled all this really well throughout the year. He sort of picked his mm. moments on when to be aggressive and when not to, and it's really the couple of stumbles he's had is sort of just things that have happened in the pack that weren't really his doing. So that's that's also obviously a, an issue that do, do they get taken out by somebody else, but they've just got to do the best job they can and and hope to get the result at the end of it. Well, we're probably going to hear a fair bit from each of the title contenders over the course of the week, so instead, I've talked to one of their bosses. Here's Erebus team principal Barry Ryan ahead of what could be a very big weekend for he and the team. Well, it's a big weekend coming up in Adelaide for Erebus, Barry. What's the vibe and the atmosphere been like within the team in the build-up to it? Yeah, it's funny. um, Nothing's really changed. We're all just um, taking it as another race meeting, obviously... Yeah, obviously we all know what we're chasing, but we've been chasing that all year. So really, it's just a last box to tick to make sure that we um, get it across the line. So yeah, no real. So everybody's really calm and everybody's just ready to go. Can't wait to get there and put our best foot forward like we have all year. And if we do everything right, there's no reason why we won't take out both championships. I was going to ask. Like, I imagine for a lot of the crew members, this is their first time contending for the title but it doesn't sound like you're having to do much to sort of manage any nervousness or any sort of distraction no not really no you know obviously you get sick of the questions about um how you're handling it and all that and i think brody's probably the same but he's speaking to him today and we had a pre-brief today he's, he's really calm and so is will they're just it's ready to do their jobs and yeah you're right um none of us have no one in the team has been in a position in a supercar team to take out a championship. You know, I've done it, luckily enough, in Formula Ford and GT racing, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a big thing when you get to that last race and, you know, 
you just got to nail it. Everybody's got everything right. If you've trying to put it in the wall or if a wheel falls off or, you know, something falls off the car, you might lose a championship. So it is a huge thing. But, um, yeah, everybody's pretty calm at the moment. So well, um, hopefully it stays like that someday. Someday, someday. Uh, Brody's got a pretty reasonable points advantage heading in. Is that going to change how you guys approach the weekend, knowing that you don't necessarily have to go out and win the races to win the title? No, I think the biggest thing for Brody and the way he goes about his racing is he does everything to go out and win. So I think if he changes his style, it's not going to help him. So you know, we're definitely not going to tell him to back it off and he's definitely not going to back it off. So he'll be going out of the win just as Will does too. So, yeah, there's no, no need to try to change anything because it could just cause more issues than what we're trying to achieve. But I'm sure if, you know, if... Like Dave Reynolds, the race to a Gold Coast, I'm sure if it was the first round of the year or mid-year and he wasn't leading the championship, there's no way Dave would have won that race. But, you know, um, yeah, so he's going to be smart about it. He's not going to change the way he goes about things. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we also saw at Sandown how he chose not to try and use the car up to try and pass Brock Feeney because he knew there was a very big amount of points on the line there for him. Yeah, you know, he's, he's um, done a lot of smart things in the last, you know, the whole season, really, but in the last couple of rounds, it's, he's probably had some opportunities he hasn't taken with both hands that he could have. So, yeah, he's, he's driving very, very smart and very mature for his age. So, yeah, it's um, it's been great to watch. So what are you looking at as possibly being the biggest threats to you guys this weekend? Is it getting caught up in someone else's mess or mechanical issues or things like that? rather than worrying too much about what Shane Van Gisbergen's doing? Yeah, I think it's always getting caught up in someone else's mess is uh, the biggest risk, and it will be this weekend too. So, yeah, we're just trying to keep keep out of trouble and keep doing what we've been doing all year. And, you know, just as long as we roll out fast cars um, yeah, and qualify well, that's, that's a big box to tick and, and just race where we race. So the Gold Coast presented a pretty tough test for the Gen 3 cars with all the pounding over the curbs. Once you stripped the cars back down at the workshop, did you guys find anything unexpected or anything that might be a cause for concern for Adelaide? No, I don't think so. No, I honestly think um, the Townsville, Sandown are probably just as hard, if not hard, on the cars through those style of curves. So Townsville was probably the biggest test and yeah, Gold Coast was, yeah, there's no problem. The cars come out of there really strong and issues with front splitters or that. So yeah, suspension wise, steering racks, everything's um, actually really good in the cars. So we felt no, no worry about something random on the cars now. So we just, as long as we prep them right, um, we're, we're full steam ahead, and you know, if if things go wrong that we can't control, we'll, we'll deal with them at the time. It's comforting to know that that sounds like a positive thing, anyway, because it would be um, would be quite unfortunate for a championship battle that's been this good all the way through to be settled with some weird mechanical failure on the final day. Yeah, yeah, it would, but we've got um, as much as we can planned that you know. Worst case, you still get 30 points for coming last if there's 25 finishes. So, you know, we've got to make sure that if, if something does happen, 
we're um, ready to fix it and um, you know get get the points we need at the end of our race. But it's Will or Brody, and we've, that's been no different all year. So, looking at Will, will he play a second fiddle role to Brody over the weekend? I mean, will you guys ask him to move over and let Brody through if required? Oh, he, he sort of knows. He's one hundred percent on board to um, for Brody winning the championship and for us to win the team championship. He's he's not thinking about next year. He's um yeah, and it, if he needs to move out of the way, he, like he's done all year, and like Brody's done for him at times. They'll just work together, and you know they'll, they'll obviously be. We're going to lean towards the drivers' championship, so Will understands that, and Will's hundred percent for that. So uh, we'll leave most of it to them. But if it comes to a point where we need to make the decision for them, yeah, we will. We'll get on the radio and say it's what we need to do, and I'm sure that Will will do what what's best for us. Speaking of Will, I mean, you say goodbye to him this weekend, or after this weekend, I should say, as he departs from Triple Eight. You've worked with him for a long time now. Tell me about how he's evolved since he first lobbed at Erebus as this cheery and cheeky kid from Toowoomba all those years ago. I think he's changed, has he? He honestly hasn't changed. He's still got, he's still that same. Um, Funny, easy, easy to get along with um, kid that's got a heap of talent, and the only thing that's changed is he's now won some supercar races, and he's you know, he's unfortunately leaving us for another team. But yeah, it, it will be sad when he goes, and but he's still coming to the Christmas party, and he's, that's a compulsory. He's not getting away with that. So <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll still we'll still cheer for him, you know. In the back of our minds, like we did for Anton when he got his first win at his new race, new race team, and yeah, as long as we beat him more times than they beat us for the rest of his career, we'll be happy. So no plans to um, tape him to a um, trolley and deliver him to Triple Eight on Sunday afternoon. Oh, we can't divulge any of those things, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see how we go. I think I know the, the mechanics have got a bit of an idea, a bit of a plan, so. There, there always is, and it's always in fun. So we'll um, we'll see how that rolls out on Sunday. <laughs> uh, and lastly, Barry, you've been in this business a long time now. If Brody and Erebus do win the championship this weekend, what does that mean for you personally? Oh, it's huge. It's it's the only thing you do it for, and you know, to for me to have been in supercars this long and have this opportunity, you know, after all that time, it's it's unreal. And one of my mates reached out to me the other day and said, oh, when was the last time a team that wasn't a factory-supported team won a Supercars Championship? And we couldn't actually think of it. So, um, yeah, it's huge for us. It's huge for the sport. I think that a team that's not a factory team can be in a position to do this. And so, yeah, I'm proud of myself, I guess, and everything I've done to try and get here and the team around me, we've got some great people in our team and they're all sticking around, apart from Will, obviously. But, yeah, we're, we're not ready to stop yet. So whatever happens on the weekend, we'll be back out round one next year trying to do the same thing. Thank you to Barry for making himself available for a chat ahead of what's going to be a rather intense week. Steph, you heard Barry's take on whether they'll impose team orders on Will Brown to help Brody's title challenge. And it is worth reiterating that it is completely legal for teams to impose those kinds of orders on their drivers. 
Yes, this was clarified a couple of years ago after Triple Eight swapped their cars, I think, on the run to the chequered flag at, at Pukekohe, that teams can apply those sorts of orders. It's just the orders can't come from third parties like manufacturers or sponsors or or whatever else. So this whole topic of, of team orders turned out to be a moot point on the Gold Coast because neither Brock nor Will were, were factors at all. But there's obviously a few things to play out here because you've got the driver's title, the team's title, and also that battle for P3 in the championship between uh, Brock and Will. And there's no doubt those guys can play a role in the driver's title more than just being sacrificed on, on pit strategy or whatever. And, and the blueprint really is what Shane did for Jamie on the Sunday in Newcastle in 2017 where he put the pressure on Scott McLaughlin, including that infamous pit entry where – Scott ended up getting a penalty for speeding and then obviously Shane sort of commanded the race from there and handed it to Jamie and, and we all know the story. So that was the ultimate wingman teammate effort in a grand final and it showed what what a teammate can do. Absolutely. And you touched on the battle for third place in the championship and I can't help but think, I don't obviously don't know the inner workings of the deals between the drivers and their respective teams. But traditionally, there's usually been a decent bonus on the line if you can make it into the higher you get in the championship standings. So I would imagine the difference between finishing fourth and third for each driver would be um, worth worth pursuing. Yeah, and at least one of those two teams seems to have a bonus for round wins as well. So you would hope that (laughs) uh, Brock doesn't have to give up a round win to help Shane. No, no, I don't think that will be happening again this weekend. Uh, the other thing worth touching on is that this might be the first race weekend this year where the word parity isn't forming a big part of the conversation in the lead-up. Uh, as I said in the headlines off the top of the top of the show, a Camaro and a Mustang have arrived in the US ahead of wind tunnel testing, so all that's still yet to play out. Uh, but based on what we saw on the Gold Coast where the Mustangs were given an aero upgrade and where Cam Waters and David Reynolds took both wins, I can see a few Fords getting in the middle of the title contenders this weekend. Oh, absolutely. And it would be no surprise to see those guys win or Chaz Mostert. I mean, we know he's outstanding on this type of circuit and, and Matt Payne in that second Grove car too. Like it's his first Adelaide 500, but the way he's been going, a first podium is surely a matter of time. And it's just exciting to be factoring all these guys into the mix. Oh, absolutely. It wouldn't, like, you think back 12 months ago, we had Brock Feeney taking his first race win on the Adelaide streets. It, it honestly wouldn't be a big shock if Matt Payne could do the same. Yeah, he's been doing a sensational job lately. And again, it's another another opportunity for Groves to show that they're the real deal and the way they've been building towards the end of this year. It's, uh, it's definitely exciting for Matt looking at next year and uh, interesting for Dave Reynolds, who has also turned out some decent performances in Adelaide before that we'll see how he can uh, go out with that team before uh, moving on next year. It's all right. $64,000 time. Who's your money on? Who's winning the title? I feel like um, it's it's Brody's there to to lose, as we said. But, um, yeah, I I think saying that he'll definitely win it actually undermines the challenge that's ahead because you've got to actually go out there and do it. Uh, I completely agree. Like he does have a significant points advantage, and managing that, managing himself, and for that matter, all the people in the team, 
as we heard from Barry, like everyone seems to be getting on business as usual, but then it's a bit different when the race weekend starts and you're in race and the pressure's on. How that team manages that will be central to whoever wins this title. It is hard to see it not being Brody, however. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I said earlier that there was a bit of Supercars stuff to get through, and one of the headlines at the top of the show is that Supercars is expected to announce tonight that Tim Edwards is taking over in the renamed general manager of motorsport role following Adrian Burgess's departure. Burgess held that role as a as the head of motorsport since the end of 2018. Well, of course, Edwards has been the team principal at Tickford Racing since early 2005. Steph, let's unpack this a little bit. Uh, firstly, the ATB announcement happened after last week's MN episode, so we haven't had a chance to talk about it. What do you make of his departure? Honestly, it's not surprising. As we know, as we can see, like that's a hugely stressful role, especially with how this season has played out and he's coming up to five years in the job. There's obviously been enormous external pressure this year, but it genuinely does appear that it's been his decision to go. And you've got to remember that Adrian, he's a racer at heart. Like he spent so many years in teams before he went to the supercars, had a motorsport role. And at least there you can occasionally get the joy of, of a win or a podium to go with, with the stress of it all. So I think that side of the fence was always going to tempt him back at some point. It is widely expected that he is going to pop up at a supercars team and indeed, Something along those lines might be announced by the time you're listening to this. So if that is indeed what happens, look, I can't see the other teams in the paddock getting too overly pleased about the guy who ran the whole Gen 3 program and arguably should know more about how every team in the paddock has approached it technically. Uh, I can't see teams being too stoked about all that knowledge arriving at one of their rivals. Yeah, the understanding here is that Adrian is going to Team 18 and reconnecting with Charlie Schwerkolt, who, of course, was also at DJR when they won the title together in 2010. And there's an obvious vacancy at Team 18 after Bruin Beasley resigned in the wake of their Bathurst fuel shortage disaster. It's mm. it's not been announced that Adrian's going to Team 18, but there's feathers flying around already in the background in reaction. And it is a very awkward scenario if he doesn't have any sort of gardening leave clause in his supercars deal and he can just hop the fence it shouldn't really happen like that it's it's cheeky at best but um at the very least like supercars surely can't have him adjudicating parity at a wind tunnel in december if he's going to be running a chevy team in january no, that does seem like a remarkable conflict of interest that um, shouldn't be allowed to occur. But stranger things, unfortunately, have happened in this sport over the t- over time. Uh, the other leg of this, of course, is that Tim Edwards is taking on the general manager of motorsport role, which uh, 
It's a real poison chalice, that one. You don't exactly cop too many pats on the back when things are going well, but as we've seen this year, you sure hear about it when things aren't. Uh, he's got volumes of experience in motorsport, both here and overseas. He does seem like a pretty sensible choice for the role. It's going to be different for him, that's for sure. I mean, I can't actually imagine him in one of those pristine, crisp supercars white shirts that they get around <laughs> in, but then again, it, it's hard to imagine him in anything but a Tickford shirt, isn't it? So mm. I think t- time will tell how he actually fares in the role, but you can't doubt his experience and um, it certainly fits with the rumours that have been around for, for months about him wanting to move to Queensland. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lifestyle shift for him as well. So, um, yeah, hopefully it's a good next chapter for him and Trudy. can only hope that in taking on the role he doesn't um – it doesn't turn out that Tickford was a very delightful frying pan compared to a um, general manager of motorsport fire. Time will tell. Uh, there's been a draft of next year's Supercars Championship Operations Manual, so the sports rule book uh, that's been doing the rounds. So we've seen a few of the things in it, a couple of things that Supercars has put out as well. Uh, there's the live pit lane order that's been talked about this year. That's going to come in for 2024 where the team, the order of the team's championship will dictate the garage order and that'll change from race to race. Uh, they're getting rid of the everyone drops their worst round if a driver misses a race through COVID clause, which it's worth noting that is still in place this weekend, even if it is unlikely that that will be triggered. But we've run the numbers and... Realistically, it won't make a significant difference to how the point scenario is set up, but uh, worth um, worth keeping that one in the back of your mind. And they've also gotten rid of the word super license from the section dealing with driver eligibility. But Steph, it doesn't, it doesn't really change anything. There might be no super license from either Motorsport Australia or Supercars, but there's essentially the same eligibility restrictions in place. So you've got to have done either a minimum of three Supercars Championship rounds in the past five years, a minimum of, or a minimum of six Super 2 Series rounds in the past three years, including getting endorsement signatures from the race director, or a minimum of three Super 2 Series rounds in the past three years, plus a top three end-of-season ranking in either the Super 3 Series or Porsche Carrera Cup Australia in the past three years. So that does sound a little complex when you put it all together, but really this does simplify it down in that that whole convoluted point system for every category is no longer there, which that was the super licence component that Motorsport Australia had put in. So that's really the point here. It's now more simple and in a way more honest because before a young driver had to get the right combination of numbers to unlock that super licence door and then supercars could just kneecap them in the darkness on the other side with their own Super 2 requirements. But now Mm. there's no hiding behind Motorsport Australia anymore. This is a supercars policy designed to protect the supercars system. End of story. And Steph, we couldn't end the supercars part of the show without pointing out that Jack Smith has confirmed that he will step away from full-time driving in supercars after this weekend's Velo Adelaide 500. And I say confirmed, as you did first flag this on the Castrol Motorsport News podcast a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and so it was confirmed yesterday in a lengthy BJR press release that didn't really tell us much other than the fact that Jack's not driving next year. From what I understand, it it has actually been Jack's decision to step down. And like usually in this situation, the money runs out before the driver's desire 
to do it, but this is a little different and it sounds like the Smiths will keep that TRC that they own and most likely run Zach Best with a combination of some SCT branding and, and Zach's own supporters if he can rally the budget and get that over the line. And it's possible that the Smiths are wanting to keep the TRC for when Tommy Smith, who is actually Jack Smith's uncle, comes back from his European open wheel foray that he's, that he's on now. But either way, one thing that the BJR statement did talk about was the loyalty from the Smiths to the race team. And, of course, Jack had come up through Super 3 and Super 2 with them and, and they stuck with that fourth BJR garage in the main game despite basically having the funding and the ability to go wherever or buy whatever they wanted. That's true. And loyalty is a um, very hard commodity to come by nowadays um, in any form of life, not necessarily in a competitive sport. So fair play, fair pat on the back there. Uh, Now, with the supercar season coming to an end, that means one thing for Australian motorsport. It means the Bathurst 12-hour isn't too far away. Now, each week in the lead up to the race here on the Castrol Motorsport News podcast, we're going to look back at one memorable moment from the race's rich history. And this week, with Shane Van Gisbergen calling time on his full-time supercast career to go race overseas, I want to go back to his win in the event back in 2016, beginning with that stunning qualifying session where he laid down a 201.567 to take pole position aboard that beautiful Techno Water Sports McLaren that he shared with Jono Webb and Alvaro Parent. Uh, He then checked out to a big lead in the opening stint and went back to the hotel room for a nap and woke up to see his car stopped on pit straight with a mechanical failure. Um, Happily, it got going again after a quick control alt delete and they went on to win the race, um, including holding off a rather spectacular charge from Katsumasa Chio in the factory GTR in the closing laps. Yeah, that was a cool uh, little period for the 12-hour with those McLarens and, and Shane in that lineup and Shane did go on a podcast over in the US this year, I think before the Chicago race where he was asked for his ultimate car and track combo and he did nominate that McLaren and Bathurst. So I think uh, that says a lot considering he's, uh, he's experienced plenty of car and track combos over the years. Anytime you're doing a 201 around Mount Panorama, you're probably going to look pretty favorably on the thing you're doing it in. Uh, if you want to be there trackside for next year's Bathurst 12 Hour, head to bathurst12hour.com.au for all the details on buying tickets and camping. Time for the World Wrap now, and the World Rally Championship wrapped up over the weekend with Rally Japan, which Elfin Evans took out as part of a Toyota 123 sweep on its home event. However, the big news from the WRC is that newly crowned twice world champion Kalerov and Pera won't be defending his title. Instead, he's only going to do a partial season, the 23-year-old citing a desire to recharge his batteries ahead of a full-time return in 2025. The Macau Grand Prix also took place over the weekend. Luke Browning claimed the marquee FIA Formula 3 race, which was a crash-strewn affair. The biggest being Paul Aaron's fiery crash when a suspension failure pitched him into the wall at high speed. Former Bathurst 12-hour racer Raffaele Marciello dominated the GT feature rates in his final start for Mercedes, with Lello reportedly off to join either BMW or Lamborghini for next year, while Norby Mikolas became the inaugural TCR World Tour champion after a dramatic finale. Title rival Rob Huff copped a smashed windscreen when his bonnet flew up after minor contact, meaning Norby's eighth place was enough for the Hyundai racer to win the title. 
It was a rough weekend for Aussie Ben Bagwana, though, crashing out on the opening lap of the final race. MotoGP has just one round left to go, and reigning champ Peko Bagnaia is in the box seat after a dramatic weekend in Qatar. Title rival Jorge Martin won the sprint to slash his deficit to just seven points, but then endured a dismal Grand Prix, finishing down in 10th place after struggling with what he called a bad rear tyre. Meanwhile, Bagnaia finished the race in second behind the resurgent Fabio De Gianantonio, who took his first MotoGP win, despite staring down the barrel of possibly not having a ride for 2024. Uh, Jack Miller was one of the last riders to pick off Martin to bring his KTM home in ninth place. And the results mean that Bagnaia has a 21-point margin with just the Grand Prix of Valencia to come. And look, we've got to talk about the slap. Steph, did you did you see the slap? I actually, I think I did see this on Twitter, but it was a short clip with not much context. What, uh, so what was it all about? Surely there's a bit of history there or something that's contributed to this reaction. So, so I, I saw this unfold. I was in an engagement party, um, at a pub on, on Saturday night and happened to be watching the screen as MotoGP free practice two was on and saw this in unfold. So what happened was Alicia Spargo was on a fast lap when he came across a slow Frankie Morbidelli and he was pretty mad about getting balked and took matters into his own hands quite literally by smacking Morbidelli in the back of the head as he rode off. Now he copped a six place grid penalty and a 10,000 euro fine. Um, Unfortunately, he also ended the day with a cracked fibula after getting hit by Miguel Oliveira during the sprint race. But they, there was a bit of back and forth in the media afterwards, in particular Frankie Morbidelli not being all, all that happy, A, with how, with how the stewards had handled it. He said, well, this is great, this grid penalty, all it's done is put him next to me. I don't want to be within 100 metres of him. And the other thing that he was rather, rather blunt about was calling Aleish a serial overreactor and various other comments that um that Aleish also didn't take kindly to i think at one point frankie said i don't know how he's going to explain this to his kids which is a bit of a which is quite a sledge when it, at the end of the day i just hope this didn't put a dampener on the engagement party that's uh, that's no way to act in that uh, that scenario <laughs> the engagement party went fine <laughs> Uh, last but certainly certainly not least, Formula One finally hit the streets of Las Vegas. And Steph, yes, Max Verstappen won again, but it actually turned on a pretty decent race. Yeah, you're the master of the understatement there. I thought it was a cracking <laughs> race in the end. Like, obviously, the result was a bit of same old, but, you know, Max had, what, two incidents, a penalty, there was a couple of safety cars, and, you know, a really fast Ferrari that he had to contend with to win that. So it did have a bit of everything and that was probably just as well given the disaster that the weekend had looked like on the Thursday. Yeah, um, Thursday really wasn't particularly good Um, considering everything came to a screeching halt after just eight minutes of opening practice when of all things a water valve cover came loose on the road damaging Esteban Ocon's Alpine and then really made a mess of Carlos Sainz's Ferrari. So both drivers had to go to spare chassis while the errant cover did enough damage to the Ferrari's power unit that Sainz needed a new one of those as well, which triggered a 10-place grid penalty that, look, that should have been waived on the grounds of force majeure. I get that it couldn't have because of the wording of the rules and they technically couldn't just look the other way, but surely that's going to be changed in the future. 
Um, all that though led to practice two being pushed back several hours while all the valve covers on the track were removed and the holes filled with sand and asphalt. And while practice two eventually did take place, uh, it did so with no fans in the grandstands as they all had to leave the precinct due to the long hours that it meant public safety and security officials plus bus drivers slated to drive fans back to the hotels. Uh, They were going to be on the job for longer than they were allowed to be. Uh, Keeping in mind, FP2 ended up starting at 2.30am local time, which is a wild thing to say for an F1 race, and then wouldn't finish until 4am local time, which is even wilder. Um, F1 then released a statement the next day saying, everything except an apology amid reports fans with Thursday-only tickets were offered as compensation, a $200 gift voucher that could be spent in the Las Vegas Grand Prix official merch store. Steph, F1 sure has a remarkable knack of punching itself in the todger on American soil, doesn't it? I'd hate to think how little you would get for a $200 voucher in the <laughs> Las Vegas Grand Prix official merchandise store. But, uh, yeah, it certainly uh, it had almost a feel of that Indianapolis 2005 about it early on this uh, Las Vegas Grand Prix weekend. It was obviously a difficult situation they faced there with the uh, the drain issue, but it didn't appear that they handled it at all well with the way the crowd was booted out and everything you detailed there. And speaking of the crowd, actually, the other amazing part of the weekend was the way Max Verstappen was so outspoken against the race and the crowd that it attracted. Like he said they were only there for the party and basically said he was against the Vegas race as a whole. Like whether you agree with him or not, I think it's hugely impressive that he has that conviction and and basically the guts to speak his mind at an event where F1 has billions of dollars at stake. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was a wild quote to wake up to. Like, that got my attention when I read it on my phone at some ungodly hour of the morning. Um, it is a wild thing to say uh, for someone who ended up wearing an Elvis-style jumpsuit throughout the entire race, but it is... Like, I, I do get his point, but ultimately, like, you think of the amount of motorsport events where a rowdy crowd has strongly contributed to the atmosphere. I mean, you, we look at how the top of the mountain has been equally revered and feared over the years at the Bathurst 1000, uh, the snake pit at Indianapolis, uh, the the bog at Watkins Glen back in the day for the US Grand Prix, which all ended when a a tourist bus, I think, was dragged into it and set ablaze um, by the mob. Uh, okay, so, all right, I, I've talked myself into it. Maybe Max has a point. <laughs> I think he, he did make some great points and we won't try to uh, sort of paraphrase any more of what he said because I'm sure everyone can can go out there if they haven't already seen it and, and read what he actually did say. But, um, yeah, he, he made some great points. I think he was he was saying what a lot of people were thinking, but um, to actually have the... Again, the conviction to to say it um, was fantastic. But, yes, he did undermine it slightly with uh, his rendition of Viva Las Vegas on the radio after the win (laughs) was uh, a little cringeworthy. I really hope this isn't going to continue a trend of Max singing on the radio after wins. We've had Tom Jones. We've had this. That'll do. Castrol Motorsport News mailbag time, and this week we've got a, cl- a question from Blake Vella, who asks, what is some of the history on the TCM cars? Are any of the cars previous race cars from back in the day, or are they all built in the modern era? Blake, I can't think of any 
off the top of my head that have previous race history prior to TCM um, of any significance. The the only one I can think of is back when the Pete Gagan 67 Mustang got out and about in the Bianti Historic Touring Car Series, uh, so the forerunner to TCM, back when the resto on it was finished in the early 2000s. Um, to be honest, I think the rules allow so much freedom now that a period car with history would either be too slow or unreliable, or you'd have to change it so much you'd lose some of that that wonderful originality. Yeah, well, I mean, the way the class has evolved, like a lot of the earlier TCM cars that are actually iconic in their own right, unfortunately aren't being run these days. Forget about the sort of real period cars. It's Yeah, it's just a shame that, you know, cars like Mustang Sally and Jim Richards, the Falcon Sprint and the Javelin, like and they're just not going around anymore either. It would be great to, to see some of them. Alan Bowden's custom line. The, you remember that car? The one <laughs> that do. did the donuts at the hairpin at Hidden yeah. Valley mid-race? Yeah, that, there are some amazing TCM cars sitting around the country. and We can only hope that more and more of them come back out as, um, as time goes on. Now, time for one of my favorite segments each week. What's caught your eye on my 105? Steph, what's getting your bitcoins this week? Well, it's Adelaide Race Week, as we know, and I found a great example of an Adelaide-built machine for sale. There's a neat-looking Elfin 600 up for grabs. It's a F2 spec car with a twin-cam Lotus Ford engine in it, and they've actually just knocked the price down to 80 grand as well. So hopefully when it does get sold, it uh, stays in Australia. You beauty. What was the price before it got knocked down? 82 and a half. So it's not uh, not exactly a Black Friday blockbuster, but uh, it, it's come down a little bit. <laughs> They've really taken the sandpaper to that one. Uh, for mine, I'm actually going back to my roots a little bit this week. So I grew up I grew up with Toyota Celicas. Our family car was an RA23. My first car was a late 80s coupe, like the last of the ones that had that sort of angular panel work, the ST162. So when I was scrolling through my 105 over the weekend and spotted an ST165 Celica in full GT4 tarmac rally spec, that really stopped me in my tracks. Like, I always loved that model Celica. That's like it's the same model as those beautiful Castrol liveried cars that UR Kankinen drove to the World Championship, like what Neil Bates ran in Caltex and Haviland colors over here back in the mid 90s. Um, that that is that's my car. That's that's the one that I. And like it even comes with a full light kit. Like you know, you know the Monte Carlo rally style headlights, the mm-hmm. big bay of them you pop on the bonnet. I mean, they had me at that. You you mentioned some of the wins there, but there was also a bit of controversy with with some of those Celicas, weren't there? Ah, uh, that was the next. That was the later model. There was definitely nothing controversial about these ones that was ever proven, <laughs> to my knowledge. Um, so don't forget, you can visit my105.com for those two machines and plenty more cars, bikes, carts, trailers and transporters, parts and accessories. Now, before we go, let's look to the weekend ahead. And it really does seem to be a big weekend of championships coming to an end for 2023. Formula One is ending this year's Max Verstappen World Tour of Domination in Abu Dhabi under the lights at the Yas Marina circuit. MotoGP will crown a new champion at Valencia in Spain, while our own Repco Supercars Championship will be decided on the South Australian streets at the Velo Adelaide 500. Steph, you mentioned the support card, and I'm probably going to get a bit out of breath running through all these things because there's also the Dunlop Series titles for Super 2 and Super 3 that are on the line. 
the Painter Dixon Porsche Carrera Cup Australia title, S5000 Australian Drivers' Championship, Fanatec GT World Challenge Australia powered by AWS, and the Gulf Western Oil Touring Car Masters Series. So, as you said, there's a bit on. Uh, Steph, what are you looking forward to and why is it the Robbie Williams concert? I'm not sure where I should answer that in case uh, Robbie listens to the podcast. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they've clearly invested pretty heavily again with the concerts, which is great. Like, they traditionally did that with the event and then it kind of was sort of run down a little bit before it got axed. So, I think, um, yeah, overall, like, I am looking forward to seeing how the whole event has lifted from last year when it was such a rush to get the whole thing back together again and they did a great job in the time frame but now they've had a bit more time to plan it out and again bring it back bigger and better but I guess as well it is a little bit hard to to run the weekend after Las Vegas I mean uh, Velo I think they do LED lights so so maybe they will have a sphere there for us <laughs> it would be good there's there, there'd be places to put them surely yeah, I think uh, just the centre chicane is a good place to start. I mean, that would deter curb hopping, would it not? Or, or cause it. I'm really not sure. Anyway, on that note, that's it for this week. So for Stefan Bartholomew, I'm Will Dale, and we'll be back next Tuesday with a fresh episode of Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.